Hello, my name is Lee Shellnut, and I'm the pastor of the Huntersville Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. That's a mouthful, so we affectionately know of ourselves as HARP. We at HARP welcome you to the podcast of our preaching and teaching ministry. We're grateful that you've joined us. If you're encouraged by what you hear, we'd love to have you subscribe. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we love sharing the glorious good news of the Lord Jesus Christ as we preach and teach through the pages of Holy Scripture. So join us now as we open up God's Word. This is the invitation. Amen. You may be seated. Let's look now to the Word of God once again. Second Samuel, you'll find that printed in your bulletin, uh, pages 11, 12, and yes, over into 13. It's a lengthy passage. I won't read it all for the sake of time, though I did earlier. I will condense it, uh, but even in the condensing of it, it's still going to be a little bit long. So please give your attention to the Lord's Word. And as you do so, remember where we are. We're in this series of stories about the coup d'etat, the civil war that's, that is launched into by Absalom against his father David. Okay? And as we do, we pick up today now with verse 15 of chapter 16. Now Absalom and all the people, the men of Israel, came to Jerusalem, and Ahithophel with him. And when Hushai the archite, David's friend, came to Absalom, Hushai said to Absalom, Long live the king! Long live the king! And by which I suspect Hushai was meaning long live David, not Absalom. But Absalom is hearing himself. Long live the king! Long live the king! And Absalom said to Hushai, Is this your loyalty to your friend? Why did you not go with your friend? And Hushai said to Absalom, No, for whom the Lord and this people and all the men of Israel have chosen, his I will be. Who had the Lord chosen? Had the Lord chosen Absalom? No, the Lord had chosen David. But Absalom's hearing Absalom. And with him I will remain. And again, whom should I serve? Should it not be his son? As I have served your father. And how had he served his father? Faithfully. Faithful to the Lord's anointed. And he's going to serve Absalom, faithful to the Lord's anointed David. As I have served your father, so I will serve you. Then Absalom said to Ahithophel, Give your counsel. What shall we do? Ahithophel said to Absalom, Go in to your father's concubines, whom he has left to keep the house. And all of Israel will hear that you have made yourself a stench to your father, and the hands of all who are with you will be strengthened. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof. And Absalom went into his father's concubines in the sight of all Israel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, Let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I'll come upon him while he's weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike down only the king. 
And I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. But then Absalom said, Call Hushai the archite also. Let's hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, Thus has Ahithophel spoken. Shall we do as he says? If not, you speak. Then Hushai said to Absalom, This time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good. Then he launches into a very rhetorical counter advice. But let's drop down to verse 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the archite is better than the counsel of Hithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Hithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Jump down to verse 21. Now after they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David, and they said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Verse 22, Then David arose, and all the people who were with him, and they crossed the Jordan. By daybreak no one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, he went off home to his own city, he set his house in order, and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. And then go down to verse 27. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobai the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Machar the son of Amiel from Lodabar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogalim, brought beds, basins, and earthen vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grains, beans, and lentils, honey and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd for David and the people with him to eat. For they said, the people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And after reading that, particularly after reading in the first service, I say, it's a long passage. But I also want to say, because it's been a long week. I've had, yes, a long week. And I suspect many of you have had a long week, or if you haven't had a long week this past week, you have had a long week before. We oftentimes find ourselves very, very weary. And as I have reflected, even last night, late last night, over the past week, I've been weary. And, and, and I've said, what a week. And as I've reflected, I've reflected over trivial things and those things that are of a more serious nature, somewhat more serious nature, serious nature from the trivial, uh, like last night. I'm from Georgia, y'all. And every team in the state of Georgia, it seems, lost. My alma mater got trounced on the gridiron, and my beloved Braves started doing what they seem to always do, choke. You know, from the trivial to, to the more serious. I had one more, and I've, I've lost track of the number of Lithuanian trips I've had. 
and the, the number of kidney stone procedures that I had. I had that in the middle of the week, and you know, I, I, I didn't start feeling better, to be quite honest with you, until this morning. And usually I bounce back pretty quickly. Uh, it's taking me longer, and this was even a smaller stone. I guess I chalked that up to age. I'm getting old. I had that. And then also, to be quite frank, I'm, I'm weary of my labors in the denomination. Just, just so much. So much on the plate and so many things happening, and it, 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 can, it can wear you out. I've had a tough week, but I, I don't want Mike whining about my week to rise to the level of what some of you might be facing. Some of you may have faced a far, far, far worse week than I have. And I get that. I understand. What do we do with such weeks? Well, I think the first thing we do is we need to recognize our Lord understands. Our Lord knows. And our Lord gives to us in the midst of a 2020 sort of week, our Lord gives us a gift. It's a very, I think, undervalued, underappreciated gift. And that gift, brothers and sisters, is a day. And that day we call the Lord's Day. And embedded in that Lord's Day is that holy privilege to worship. And embedded in that holy privilege to worship are the means of grace. We've witnessed one, haven't we, already? And, and, I, and I want to say, in the, embedded in those means of grace, there is the greatest one of those gifts, and that's the Word of God. The Word of God for the people of God, thanks be unto God. And that Word includes this text. Believe it or not, this text is a gift for you. God and His eternal counsels determined you would be here today. You're not here by mistake. And God and His eternal counsel determined you would have this text. And this text as a gift, as balm, as solace, as encouragement. God is meeting you here, meeting me, meeting us with the refreshment of His Word. It's as if we are in Maha Naim and we are hungry and we are weary and we are thirsty in this wilderness and He meets us here, not with honey and curds. He meets us here with this text. And maybe you're scratching your head right now and saying, Pastor Lee, are you still on that pain medication? This text? And my answer is, no, I'm not on pain medication. I haven't taken a pill, have, I'll have you know, since Friday. But my answer is also this. Yes, this text. For in this text, there is encouragement. Let me explain. As we've been noticing, as we move through these stories about the Civil War, about the coup d'etat, it seems as if great chunks focus upon a particular individual. 
And this chunk, whether you recognize it or not, this long section, I believe, clearly is focusing on this man by the name of Ahithophel. Ahithophel. Yes, we got David. Yes, we got Absalom. Yes, we've got Hushai. Yes, we've got, sadly, those concubines. Yes, we got the people of God. Yes, all that. But we have Ahithophel. And I was just kind of counting the number of times that I saw his name. And I think it's at least 10 or 11 or 12 times that you see it in this text. God wants us to focus on this man. He wants us to do so for a purpose. And so let's do. And let's do so by asking three questions. Who is he? What did he do? And why in the world does that matter to you? Why in the world does that matter to us today? Let's jump in with the first question. Who is he? Who is Ahithophel? Now, the answers come in different forms. There is an answer that's not obvious. And then there's an answer that is. What's the not obvious answer? Well, to get that not obvious answer, you really have to move forward towards almost the end of the book of 2 Samuel. You have to go to 2 Samuel chapter 3. You don't have to go there. There, Just please trust me. If you, if you want to look later, you can. In chapter 23, the author talks about the mighty men of David and, in, and, and their connections, their family connections. And in that list, we find this man, Ahithophel. And once you see that and you see the connections, you see who his son was, then you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 11, the chapter that describes for us David's horrific sin with Bathsheba and against Uriah. And you put one and one together, what do you get? You get this. Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. Grandfather. You let that sink in. Ahithophel's grandson-in-law, whom he no doubt loved, Uriah, had been murdered. Ahithophel's granddaughter, and you grandfathers, you pay attention here, Ahithophel's granddaughter had been taken. And David, King David, was guilty of both sins. Now I'll let you tease that out. I'll, I'll let you put yourself in Ahithophel's sandals. Does that help make more sense of Ahithophel's betrayal of David? Of course it does. He stewed over it. He had been brooding over these crimes, these sins. He had allowed righteous anger, no doubt. No doubt he allowed that righteous anger to dwell in his heart, to stay in his heart, and turn into what? Bitterness. It's understandable, isn't it? Is it right? Was it right? No. Remember the last verse of chapter 16, verse 23. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted the word of God. So was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed, both by David and by Absalom. I think the verse is talking about, yes, at this moment, but before that, all the years that had come before. David had esteemed the counsel of Ahithophel. He had trusted grandfather. He had trusted his advisor. 
Ahithophel had had a track record for years of good counsel, dependable counsel. And David trusted him. And David had spent no doubt much official time with Ahithophel. Much interaction. But not only did he spend much official action, official time with Ahithophel, no doubt he spent a lot of family time with him. I mean, imagine David and Bathsheba saying, let's have a party. Spring, let's bring family. And Ahithophel, granddaddy, come. And granddaddy comes and he hugs Bathsheba and he lavishes his love on her and he, and he even gets little Solomon and he bounces little Solomon on his knee, his great-grandchild. He's around David all the time. Can you imagine being David and here's Ahithophel bouncing Solomon on his knee, cooing at him? And with all that access, what should Ahithophel, what should he have done with his righteous anger? Remember, he's an older statesman. He's a beloved grandfather. Yes, it might have been a bit risky, but what could he have done? Couldn't he have gotten David, taken him aside and said, David, I want you to know what you did against Uriah, what you did against my granddaughter was exceedingly wicked and sinful. And if he had given him that opportunity, uh, David could have done what? Yes, Ahithophel, I've sinned. Not only against Israel, not only against God, not only against Bathsheba and Uriah, I've sinned against you too. Will you please forgive me? It would have given them an opportunity to have some semblance of reconciliation and it seems that that clearly did not happen. Paul's here. Yes, Ahithophel was a person who lived centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries ago. Yes, he lived in a completely different culture than us. But guess what? He was a sinner just like we're sinners. Isn't it easy to nurse grudges? Isn't it easy to allow righteous anger to become bitterness? And do you see where his bitterness took him? May we heed the words of our Master, the Son of David. Jesus has told us quite clearly this. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. And let us listen to the words of the Spirit given through the Apostle Paul to the Ephesian, Ephesians in the church at Ephesus. Be angry, be righteously angry, and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Evidently, Ahithophel had let sun go down, 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 and he gave, he gave opportunity to the devil. He did it. Lee can too. Ahithophel, who was he? Bathsheba's grandfather. That's the not obvious. The obvious answer is, particularly if you know your New Testament, it's obvious. 
Ahithophel was a traitorous Judas. Despite his grievances, he owed his allegiance to the Lord's anointed. He owed his allegiance to David. Despite David being flawed, despite David being a sinner, he owed his allegiance to him. David was the Lord's anointed. David was the Lord's appointed king. Ahithophel was older. He had been around. He knew Samuel. He knew Saul. He knew the story. He knew that David had been chosen of the Lord to be king. And yet, he betrayed the Lord's anointed. He changed sides. And all such betrayals, brothers and sisters, of the Lord's anointed are heinous. Be they Ahithophel's, be they Judas's betrayal of the son of David, or be they the apostasy of the latest Christian celebrity who says, oh, I don't believe it anymore. I'm done. The warning of the author of Hebrews is solemn. And we all need to hear it. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who've tasted the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause there and say, every one of us in this room, this day, have shared in the ministry of the Holy Spirit as we have sung and as we have heard the Word and as we've watched a baptism. We've seen the Lord at work and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. That's something of who He was. Bathsheba's grandfather and a traitorous Judas. Now, what did he do? Again, the answers are obvious, some, and then there's a not so obvious. Let's start with the obvious ones. What did he do? Since I've used the book of Hebrews, he became an apostate. He changed allegiances. He betrayed David, but notice the depths of his betrayal. Look at his advice. Consider his counsel. His first counsel was for David to take the harem. I mean, not David, Absalom to take the harem of David. Now that oftentimes happened in a transfer from one king to the next in ancient Near Eastern societies. And it was done basically as a contract. Okay, here's what my harem and now it becomes yours. But what was contractual, he... Blows it out of the water, doesn't he? He literally takes them. And as he literally takes them, this is Ahithophel's advice to him, he's brazenly at the no turning back point, the point of no return. There would be no negotiations with his father David. This was a public blow to David's 
kingship. Ahithophel knew it, and Absalom did it. But what was wicked morally, and what was brazen politically, becomes deadly in Ahithophel's next council. Whereas his first blow was a tawdry blow to David's kingship, his second council was a worldly wise and most certain blow to David's life if Absalom took it. If Absalom took his advice, David would have been like Uriah, isolated and executed. What did Ahithophel do? Obviously, he betrayed David and in his betrayal gave wicked and deadly counsel. His counsel, though it may have seemed like it was from the word of the Lord, now it's very much from what? The word of Satan. And yet, when his second counsel was ignored, again, if, it, if Absalom had taken it, David would have been a dead man. But when his second counsel was ignored for Hushai's rhetorically pleasing advice and counsel, what does Ahithophel do? Ahithophel at that moment knew it was over. The man he had changed sides to is ignoring him now, and there's never a way he could go back to David. So what does he do? Remain for the rest of his life in a humiliated state or hang himself. What does he do? He did the thing that a Judas does. He hung himself. Those are the obvious answers. Now how about the not so obvious? What did he do? I'm going to be careful here. He fulfilled the Lord's purposes. Remember the words from the prophet Nathan in chapter 12 when Nathan confronts David. He says, Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you've despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And that evil had a name. Absalom. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun for you did it secretly but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. What did Ahithophel do? He fulfilled the purposes of the Almighty. Where did the taking of the concubines occur? On the roof of the palace, the very place from which David had first seen Bathsheba. Where did his taking of the concubines take place? In the open, on top of the roof, for all of Israel to see. If it had been modern day times, all the news trucks would have been there. The camera's rolling. What's going on in the tent? Oh, we know what's going on in the tent. 
What Ahithophel meant as part of the overthrow and destruction of David was, though, in actual fact, a part of God's promised temporal punishment of His anointed one. And even such wicked sins served God's ultimate, mysterious, and good purposes. As would later Judas's wicked betrayal serve God's mysterious, ultimate, and good purposes that we might have a Savior. Both men are culpable. Ahithophel and Judas, but the actions of both are not outside of the sovereignty of Almighty God. They were not outside God's sovereign purposes. Now, God wasn't the author of their sins, but nor was He foiled by their sins. Just the opposite. He ruled over them and He used them ultimately for His good purposes. We're back to that divine sovereignty and human responsibility issue. Now, we see this at play in human relationships, don't we? Somebody can choose freely to do something, and yet what they choose is actually in keeping with the will of somebody else. One writer gives this illustration. It comes to us from the Civil War. It comes to us from the Battle of Fredericksburg. It comes to us from the year 1862. General Burnside was in control of the Union troops, the Yankee forces. The Confederates were on the other side of the river. Burnside fully and freely chooses to take his men across the river to attack the Confederates. It's what had to be done. It's what he chose to do. And yet his very choosing of that is falling into, was a falling into the trap that General Lee had set. For General Lee had built the fortifications in such a way that when they crossed over, they would be mowed down. And they were. And this is where we get that famous line from Lee speaking to Longstreet. Lee said, It is well that war is so horrible, else we would grow much too fond of it. Again, someone's free choice actually fulfilling the purpose, the will of someone else. And if that's the case on a human level, how much more so is it the case with Almighty God? God works out His mysterious and ultimately good purposes and He even does so through the likes of Ahithophel. And lastly, that leads us to why does it matter to us today? It matters, dear ones, because this is one more piece of biblical evidence of the biblical truth that no foe has or ever will defeat the Lord's anointed. No foe has or will stop the advance of God's kingdom. 
if Ahithophel in his wisest moments cannot stop the Lord's anointed, cannot stop the kingdom, if Judas could not stop the kingdom and could not stop the Lord's anointed, if Rome and all of its might could not stop the kingdom of God and the Lord's anointed, if murderous communist dictators can't and haven't been able to stop the advance of the kingdom of God, then brothers and sisters, let me put it clearly. Your bad week and least bad week cannot either. My bad week, your bad week, doesn't stand a chance. Why? Because our God is what? Sovereign and He is good. Your besetting sin cannot stop the King and His kingdom. Your besetting sin doesn't have a chance. Why? Because our God is what? Sovereign and He is what? Good. Your messed up relationship. It doesn't stand a chance. Why? Because our God is sovereign and our God is good. Your false accusers don't stand a chance. Because our God is sovereign and our God is good. And your disease doesn't stand a chance because our God is sovereign and our God is good. And Christian, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, one more. The grave doesn't stand a chance because your God is sovereign and your God is good. God's anointed. God's king. David's son and David's Lord has defeated the powers of evil on the cross. All the rest of this is just a mopping up exercise. It's all it is. David's son, David's Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ took on, dear ones, if by grace you're trusting on Him, He took on every single one of your sins on the cross. He bore the full and complete Eternal punishment for that in your place and they don't stand a chance. And your Lord and Savior, the Son of David, and David's Lord, was buried, sanctifying the grave. And on the third day, what did He do? He busted the grave wide open. And He has told us His kingdom has and will keep advancing. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's good news. It's good news, and I hope he hears this. It's good news for Mike Dunn. It's good news for you struggling in your marriage. It's good news for you who you, you have no idea what's coming and you're distraught. It's good news about your relationship with your children. It's good news for you 
and for Lee in the middle of our crappy weeks. Because, dear ones, so much more is going on than our eyes and our minds can behold and fathom. And our sovereign and our good God is working His glorious purposes. And He's working those good purposes for all those who are united with Christ, like our brother Ryan Streeter is united with the Lord Jesus Christ through the waters of baptism. Yet crappy Tuesdays and crappy Wednesdays and crappy Thursdays, and pardon my vernacular, they still come. And you will find yourself hurt. You will find yourself upset, confused, with doubts, tired, hungry, and thirsty. And here's, here's my good news to you. God knows. God knows. And He has sent you this day. He has sent you this Word. And this Word is better than honey and curds. Trust in Him. Rest in Him. For He is what? Sovereign. And everybody say it. Good. Good. Let's pray. Thank you. Thank you for your grace. Give us eyes to see. May we taste and see that you are good. For we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.